I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Lizette Garcia. And we love to watch. We Love to Watch comes here not to bury Freddy, but to praise him. Hey, Pete. Hey, Lizette. Hi, guys. How's everyone doing this fine spooktober evening? Good. I'm all right. I don't like adding time bias into this. Peter, people can listen to this whenever they want. We. So when <laughs> I don't you like that idea. So yeah, this is only for. That's great because I. My guess is that most people listen to this on a commute of some sort. When I listen to a hundred percent of my podcasts, so mm-hmm. you're saying that you only want people who work nights to listen to this podcast. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, who are working a graveyard shift specifically uh, at a morgue, a movie theater, movie theater that's haunted. <laughs> yeah, preferably where there's been at least one unexplained death. If they can explain it. We're not interested. <laughs> not interested. I'm not really interested in like... They're like, I know what happened. That was a heart attack. Old Mr. Jefferson uh, ate nothing but bacon for 60 years and had a heart attack. Like, that's not that interesting to me. Um, <laughs> but like a haunted morgue, it's like, I want answers. Oh, no, he ruined the showing of Venom. <laughs> Because of its lifelong bacon obsession. Uh, But it's not haunted because we know all the science behind why he died at this 2D screening of Venom. And also, that's not like an unresolved death. Like, you know, someone died at sea or something. Like, when he's clutching his, his heart, he's like... All right, I know what I did. You think, when you think of unresolved deaths, ones that happen in at the sea are the ones that are the most unresolved in your mind? Oh, yeah, because they just want to come back and see the movie. What about bacon-related heart attacks uh, on the high seas? <laughs> they only, you only become a ghost during a bacon-related heart attack if you died mid-bacon strip. Okay, a lot of math here. Well, I'll look <laughs> at the charts you have prepared later. We'll see. We'll see how it all holds up to because the, the scientific method. Yes. Um, but, uh, Lizette, what, what's you your take? put a BLT on yeah. the grave and they will stop haunting you. Lizette, how many strips of bacon do you need to eat before and die as a result before it's, it's considered unresolved? Well, okay, there's a problem here because I actually don't like bacon. I'm one of- I don't either. Probably, oh, okay, well. I like turkey bacon. Yeah, so I- I'm not really the right person to <laughs> to to make an estimation because to me <laughs> because to me every strip of bacon I eat makes me want to die. So you're saying for the first one it's resolved. There's no unresolved bacon strip related heart attacks. You eat that bacon, you're like, yeah, that's why I don't eat it. It's yeah, gross. I guess so. I, yeah. I guess that's that, that's a good way to put it. So you're kind of doing prices right rules, like the lowest <laughs> bid. <laughs> okay. I mean, I guess based on prices right rules, you've won because the actual answer was seven and I guess 10,000. <laughs> uh, so anyway, what a weird start. Uh, we're very sorry, but I, I, I guess this will be something you'll have to get used to. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. Uh, yeah, no we, uh, why don't you, uh, before we introduce our show, why don't you, uh, for people that haven't heard uh, or are not in the dissolve, why don't you tell people uh, who you are and three things about yourself? <laughs> so uh, my name is Lizette. Well, that's actually my middle name. Um, so that'll be my first thing. The second thing is that I, resi- I reside in um, San Francisco, but I uh, grew up in SoCal. Okay. 
Um, and then a third thing. The third thing should be the most, like, the, the wacky fact, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, once about, uh, three or no four years ago um i accidentally bumped into maya rudolph in the middle of a movie theater while running to the bathroom i had to go to the bathroom so i just turned to her and i said sorry and then i walked away and it wasn't until i was in the bathroom did i realize that it was indeed maya rudolph and then i felt really bad about that <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the second part of that story is she followed you to the bathroom and beat the shit out of you for daring to touch I wish Maya Rudolph would beat the shit out of me. <laughs> be a it's baptism fair. by yeah. Miles. Yeah. And it would make you a better person. Oh, yeah. There will be Maya. There's like three people on the planet that can beat the shit out of you and make you a better person. I'm pretty sure Maya Rudolph is one of them. <laughs> great. What movie was it? Do you remember that? Um, yes, it was actually, uh, which, you know, wouldn't make sense why she was there. Um, it was a, a previous screening of The Master. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, she was there to s- support Paul. Made a fool of myself. <laughs> that is a good little trump card if someone questions the story. Like, yeah, it probably wasn't why I ruled off. Oh, oh yeah, at the preview screening of The Master by her husband? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, and if you've never heard our show before, where we love to watch from movie podcasts, we pick a theme and cover a few movies during a, the course of an entire calendar month uh, on that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast them. And this week is our third week of Ladies Fright Night, where we have turned over the movie selection to uh, Ladies of uh, Ladies Who Dissolve, uh, the, the Facebook spinoff from uh, the Dissolve movie group, which we mentioned very frequently and even more so this month. Um, and, uh, and so we, once again, we will not announce what movie we are covering. Lizette, what movie did you bring to us and why did you want to talk about it? Um, so the movie that I brought is, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which is a sixth installment of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Well, I initially recommended it. Um, I, I really don't know, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it's, it's more of just a, um, I saw that the option for uh, selecting films to talk about on this podcast was open. So I thought, okay, well, you know, what's a, what's a horror film directed by a woman that I enjoy that I think would be interesting to talk about? Um, hey, there's a Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Let's do that one. Um, little did I know that my choice would actually get picked. <laughs> and yeah, the group is very supportive. So, um, you know, all props to them. But like, like, holy shit. I'm like, okay, so I, I actually have to talk about this one now. Um, <laughs> It is a film that I think is more interesting than a lot of people uh, give it credit for. Yeah. When we got the list of the movies and the guests, this was definitely uh, the most intriguing for us, I think, because it was one that we never would have expected. You know, stuff like uh, a lot of the other movies that we're doing this month are great. Ravenous, um, The Babadook. Uh, but those are kind of, I think, more circled when you look at um, – Hey, what horror movies are directed by a woman? Those get brought up quite a lot. And I'll be honest, I i mean, I don't know who dire- who directed uh, about half of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but I had no idea that this one was directed by a woman. So I had never seen it before, uh, before this either. So I think this was definitely a very like, oh, interesting. This will be fun to talk about. And we've actually never done a Nightmare on Elm Street movie before. Ooh, exciting. Or a, or a Jason movie. Or a Halloween movie, 
Orisha. So this is like our first movie of like the big 80s slashers. I think it's such a fun pick for a bunch of reasons. Uh, one, it's our first foray into franchises, which later this month we'll be doing uh, a few of the Halloween movies. Uh-huh. Halloween 1, Halloween 2, and then the the new Halloween 2018. Not confusing at all for people. Halloween again. Um, and <laughs> the first two movies we did this month, Ravenous, even though it's a comedy, the themes of it are very heavy. Um, about colonialism and manifest destiny, and it's about, you know, the genocide of the indigenous people of the United States. And then there was Babadook, which is about mental illness and, uh, you know, parental abuse or, I guess, uh, you know, domestic violence um, and all that. And that's a very, very serious movie. Like, there's very little comedy in it, though it does. It is there. And then this I was really looking forward to and, and did enjoy because it's the silliest movie of the month. And it's the most fun and the weirdest movie of the month. So, like, <laughs> I think I think that, I love that the four movies we've got were so different. We got a straight up horror comedy. We got a very serious like horror drama by a serious uh, director. We got this like goofball thing. And then next week is going to be like a glossier remake and in, in more of a Hollywood style movie. And so... I, I'm just really proud of the selections that everyone picked for us this month, this movie included. Yeah. Um, well, and this one is really goofy up until it starts to get uh, really serious in a way that doesn't quite jive with the tone. I'm sure oh, yeah, we'll talk about totally that more. Pretty, yeah. Pretty over the place. Uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah. No, there there are some some more darker elements and themes that do come into play uh, later on in the film. Pretty suddenly. Like, oh, look, he's 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 Bugs Bunny. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> what are we talking? Oh, you got to choose. I think you got to choose. Do you want to talk about that? Which we'll get into or Bugs Bunny. <laughs> you can't you can't just all of a sudden have have him in the same movie. It's a little jarring. Uh, but anyways, we were going to we we're going to talk about that uh, much more here in a very short time. But uh, Lizette, as we mentioned, we're in the middle of our Spooktober recaps. Now, it's only been three days uh, since we last recorded three or four days, uh, however long Thursday to Monday, I'm great with days. It's something I'm excellent at. Um, so it's only been three days. So I've watched, I think, like four. Peter's probably watched another 80. Uh, but before we get into that, is that Spooktober, Halloween? Do you do anything fun? Do you go out and do special spooky things? Do you end up watching a lot of horror movies? Do you Have, have you seen any horror movies so far? Uh, this October that you want to call out or mention? Well, as far as the going out thing, um, no, just just no. Um, <laughs> but uh, usually every year I uh, attempt a, just a full blown horror marathon. Um, I usually okay. prioritize um, horror films directed by women. Um, actually, a few years ago, I uh, compiled a list on. Um, on Letterboxd, which I'm actually not too active in it, on it anymore, but it's still up if you want to take a look, um, about uh, horror films directed and written by uh, women. So as, you know, along with uh, films like, you know, Freddy's Dead and um, The Babadook, uh, Messiah and Evil, uh, Messiah of Evil, rather, Blood Diner and all that, you also have um, The Shining, uh, which was co-written by um, a woman. You have uh, John Carpenter's films, um, m many of which were uh, co-written by women. Yeah, so it's basically just watching a lot of those. That's usually how all of my my uh, October's have been. 
This year, however, I'm doing a little bit of something different. I've been trying to find and watch and attempt to write about a bunch of Halloween TV specials. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's, um, I, I definitely lean more towards the animated specials just because they were, a, a lot of them were ones that I grew up with. Um, but I also try to look for some of, um, some live action weirdness as well. And so it's, you know, stuff like, uh, It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, um, Halloween Town. I'll do also like made for TV movies and um, Halloween episodes of uh, TV shows. I don't usually go into Halloween themes most of the time. So that's basically what uh, I've been doing for the most part. Um, I've also been rewatching some um, other horror films that I've uh, been been needing to give another look at. Like uh, a couple days ago, I rewatched um, Carnival of Souls, which was oh yeah, super awesome. Incredible. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah. Also, I I just you know watched through all of the Nightmare on Elm Street films again. Yeah, we talked about uh, this a little bit last week. In in leading up to this, I I didn't watch all of them, but I had never seen four, five, or six. So I watched four, five, before six. Uh, only to find out uh, – well, it was fine because four rules and five is okay. Um, but um, yeah. I, I didn't realize that three through five kind of form a trilogy and then uh, six is like, how about its own thing now? Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was saying this is actually the first of the, again, classic 80s slasher horror villains that I've uh, completed the series. I have not seen all the Friday 13ths or Halloweens or uh, Child's Plays or Hellraisers or – I've seen all the sleepaway camps. It's kind of a different thing. I'm actually pretty bad at these franchises too. So this was a fun one to get to because now all I have left in the series is uh, Dream Child. Save the worst for last. Yeah, Dream Child's the worst. (laughs) It's still okay. It's kills. It's got some good like. There's like a aha take on me thing that I really dug. <laughs> I grew up after everyone had kind of decided that all of the sequels to all of these series were bad. And then now as I'm getting older, they're getting like reappraised with new eyes and new generations eyes. That's not seeing them just as like pointless cash in. So like I grew up loving Halloween and watching my single DVD of it over and over and over again and thinking every single one of the sequels was terrible, even though I hadn't seen them. And then at some point, someone was like, you gotta see Halloween 3. And then oh, I yeah, watching some other ones. Yeah. With Nightmare on Elm Street, I was like, I watched New Nightmare and I watched uh, the original. And I was like, I'm never watching anything in between. And I've been recently watching them. And with this, se- this series especially, even when they're not great, they're kind of great. Like, yeah. they're so fun and unique, and I don't like that the series is kind of, like, attached to the Friday the 13th movies. What they're going for is so different. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But yeah, so Aaron, what have you watched since, I think we were both at 13 last time? 13, uh, and it was 13 new to me. Uh, so I'm at 17 new to me, and then 20 total. 21, if you can count watching the same horror movie twice. (laughs) Yeah, so the new ones for me are uh, Freddy's Dead, uh, a little movie we're covering on this episode. Yeah, this is also new to me, so I won't be talking about it either. Uh, Carrie, for uh, the remake of Carrie that we'll be talking about next week. The 2013 remake? Correct, yep. Yay! 
which I liked, but we'll definitely get into that uh, for a good hour and a half next week. The other two new ones I watched were The Crazies, the original George Romero version. I had seen the remake. Uh, Really, really liked the original. It, um, it you can really see how where like Dawn of the Dead didn't come out of nowhere. Dawn of the Dead, I, I, I think we talked about this when we did the Dead movies last year. Like that's really his masterpiece, but. Besides the, like, the zombies and the vacant stuff, like, this really did seem like having that group of, like, survivors who are kind of hiding and avoiding the enemy out there, which in this case is the government, and also people that are going crazy, and then they start to turn against each other and get infected. Like, you can really see how he got from kind of point A to point uh, with Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, but it's also a very good movie in, in its own right. I don't know why I waited so long to watch it, but I'm kind of glad I did because the uh, HD remaster they uploaded to Amazon Prime is probably um, as good as the Blu-ray that just came out, and I know before that it was a lot of shitty DVD copies. So uh, sometimes those those lo-fi uh, independent filmmaking from the 60s and 70s I really do think benefit from being able to watch kind of a crisp, clean version. So if you haven't seen The Crazies and you want to uh, and you have Amazon Prime, I'd highly recommend that. Uh, and then I saw Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which was... Ooh, yay! <laughs> yeah! I love that it! I, it's really, yeah, it's really fun. And it's something I always kind of was like, I wonder if that'd be any good. Like, even when, when I was less obsessive about horror movies, I just didn't know what to expect. And honestly, what turned me away is like, oh, PG-13 horror movie from the 80s? That's going to be... No! <laughs> yeah, like, there is something about the there is something about the rating that was like, this isn't going to be what I want, which is killer clowns who are doing crazy stuff. Uh, and it turned out that I was dead wrong. Uh, it doesn't necessarily even feel like a PG-13 movie, except for some of the, I guess there's not that much swearing, which I guess doesn't matter. Um, I think we talked about this on an earlier episode, but like PG-13, PG-13 horror in the, like the early aughts was such a bummer because so many of them were bad and then they didn't even have the fun of like good gore effects. So I think probably when I found out about this movie, I was just in like an anti-PG-13 horror mood uh which is a which is a random phase college kids are allowed to go to go through uh no man not like, everything needs to be as hardcore yeah, as possible exactly um so uh i lightened up uh got older and this the movie is a ton of fun they really commit to the premise uh which i was kind of surprised there's not like i don't know i guess i expected kind of spoilers for killer clowns for outer space but they're killer clowns from outer space they're not uh aliens they're not in disguise they have no uh other weird thing that uh, is that is making them seem like clowns they're just monster clowns <laughs> and it's awesome it implies that there's some sort of cosmic you know force in the universe that is influencing people from all sorts of species to become clowns yeah. Um, and, and this just happens to be a species where all of them are clowns. One of the hardest moments I've laughed at a movie recently, not just during Spooktober, which is traditionally not the funniest movie watching month, uh, is there's a part where they just shoot popcorn at these people. Oh, yeah. That are running away. <laughs> and they go, why would they shoot popcorn at us? And they're like, because they're clowns. <laughs> uh, which is great. And then you find out what the popcorn is. And what I also like about it from that things don't need to make sense in the 80s 
uh, in our 80s horror movies. Even after you find out that the popcorn is not what it appears, it still makes no fucking sense they have a popcorn gun. Because <laughs> the popcorn is like their hatchlings that take a while to incubate. So I'm not sure what shooting. Be like, be like I don't know, if you were uh, from a chicken race and you like threw eggs at someone. You'd be like, oh, I guess I'm a little covered in eggs. <laughs> but, like, but like, you know, if if the killer, if the key is that these are other killer chickens, you gotta let let them incubate. You gotta let them grow into the killer chickens because the eggs are you not going to nurture your, your yeah. clown babies. Uh, yeah, and so then the rewatches, I rewatched Scream just for the heck of it. I actually think I'm going to try to go through uh, the the trilogy on my rewatch side. Um, Scream's great. Uh, I don't know what else to say about Scream. And then the other rewatches were, uh, uh, again, I kind of had mentioned that I've been uh, trying to watch more kid-themed horror movies with my four-year-old daughter. And uh, so we watched Coraline, uh, which was a massive success to the point that I don't think she's ever been so engaged by it. Like, she watches movies at the age where she'll sit through a whole movie. But usually there's like a part where she kind of will check out for a little bit, get back into it. Not, like, asking me questions throughout, like, just leaning forward at the screen, like, gasping, laughing. Like, she was just more into it than any movie I've ever seen in the entire four and a half years of her life. Uh, and all she's been talking about is wanting to watch it again, which is why I've seen it twice now Aww. in the last three days. Because my attempt to watch a different movie um, Saturday night was foiled, and we watched Coraline again. And then she wanted to watch it for a third night, but I convinced her to watch Nightmare Before Christmas uh, instead, which is a movie we'll actually be covering on the show in December, which she liked. And she's been singing This is Halloween a lot, but (laughs) she did not like she again today was like, I want to watch the movie with the buttons for eyes. (laughs) Um, See, that really warms my heart because um, when uh, when I was a kid, it was actually Nightmare Before Christmas that... um, was the film that I just wanted to yeah. watch again and again and again to the point where uh, my uncle actually recorded the 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 sound just all of the uh, the sound for the movie on uh, like a tape player which is you know music and dialogue and everything yeah. and then I would just carry it with me whenever I didn't you know wasn't around a TV and or you know couldn't <laughs> couldn't uh, <laughs> couldn't watch it. Um, so it's a good movie for that because I always forget how much music there is. Oh yeah. And also, it's just it's just very quotable too. I didn't see that till later in my life, actually, which I'm sure we'll get into on our eventual episode. But um, yeah, I mean, I love it. And uh, while she liked it, it was definitely not. Yeah, Coraline is. It feels like the the step up from a uh, at least my daughter's interest perspective. Um, and, and well, and me as well. I love Coraline. It's one of my top fifty favorites. Yeah, Coraline is oh, yeah. is a beautiful, wonderful movie, and I'm so glad that like. That's one that just clicked with her because I was a little surprised. Like, like it is way creepier than anything she's ever seen. It's a lot of it's like scary. It's, it's scary, scary and it's got a lot of um kind of tough concepts, which is why she was asking so many questions, like the other mother and all these kind of like like she's basically has like husks and like she's eating children. So like there was a lot of question and answers throughout the entire movie while she kind of you know made sense of what she was seeing but she was never not engaged by what she was seeing on screen uh and we actually just um the there's an alamo draft house here which uh just opened 
uh, a couple months ago, and I saw they were showing Coraline uh, on the big screen on October twentieth. So actually, I'm doing I'm going to dismember the Alamo that same day. So they're doing a ten a.m. screening with Coraline. I'm taking Maya to it, and then uh, my wife kindly offered to come and pick her up because the theater's about a half hour away from our house, uh, and take her back home. And then I will be watching four other horror movies. Wow! Awesome. So, so yeah, so she will get to uh, she will get to see it on the big screen here uh, in in about a week and a half. That's wonderful. I think as a kid, I saw a lot of like the weirder movies at home because I think my parents were like, "Well, if, if he gets bored or scared or whatever, I don't want to have paid all this money for that." So I think a lot of movies I saw as a kid were pretty safe. Yeah. So I know. I never saw anything like, like I did not see Nightmare on Elm Street in theaters that I can remember. Or sorry, not Nightmare on Elm Street. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, she's a little young for that. I think yeah. for Nightmare Before Christmas. Excuse uh-huh. me, but I saw it on VHS because my parents were yeah. like, "This is safer. If anything goes wrong, we could just hit stop." Whereas like hitting stop on a night with the kid out is a little different. But if she's already prepped and loving this fucking movie, like she's gonna have a great time. Yeah, and I hope so. You never know, like the intenseness of like a big screen and and sound and stuff like that uh i know you asked me before recording if it was 3d or 2d i've always i'm not a big 3d fan but this is one of those movies i've I've always wanted to see in 3d because it constantly uh, gets brought up as like a movie that does it really well and benefits from it um which is sometimes easier in animation than is for uh, live action movies not shot in 3d but as i said to you i'm kind of glad it's not because She's never seen a 3D movie, period, and I feel like this would be way too intense. So, It's somewhat comforting, even just for the state of Hollywood, that she's never seen a 3D movie. That, like, the fad has so died out that... Well, but see, I will say say this, though. Not to undercut your entire point, Peter, but now I'm kind of thinking, like, well, she's old enough where she'll probably wear the glasses for the whole time. That'll be probably pretty cool for her. (laughs) Like, I do think she would think it was cool if you've never seen that before. I saw a, like some uh, you know theater rides growing up, like Bugs Life and such that yeah. had, had that had the goggles, and I was pretty into it. But yeah, yeah. 3D is like if it's made for anyone, it's it's made for kids. Yeah, where if it if it looks shitty or cheap, like they have no reference point, yeah. right? I just like that things are coming at me. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I watched. So twenty or twenty seventeen new. Uh, 21 total, 20 individual uh, movies. Peter, what'd you watch in the last three days? Uh, all new stuff um, in a very mixed bag. So, uh, first off, a low point of the month already, uh, Marrowbone, which I was expecting to love. Like, I was very excited for. Um, it's written by the person who wrote The Orphanage, the Spanish writer who wrote The Orphanage. And I, I'm a, a fond of the director as well. And this is just one of those movies where, like, everything was there. The cast, the crew, the crew, like, it's perfectly executed. And then in the last act, it just decides to throw a twist at audiences and it ruins the movie. Aww. I, it undermines all of the twists. It undermines all of the turns. Like I genuinely am disappointed that they didn't just play this thing straight because it would have been a beautiful movie played straight. Like I said, the performances are all great. It's really well executed, but like it just made me so fundamentally mad that they decided to do that. Um, one that I want to highlight because I'm not sure anyone has really seen. Like, it seems like a movie that 
uh, has a very small audience. Uh, the Mind's Eye. It's by this director that I like called Jeff Bagos. Um, he's uh, he did uh, Almost Human. And Mind's Eye is like a scanner's riff. A lot of there's exploding heads and telekinesis and and fight scenes that are really bloody and it's cheap, yes, but it's so fun if you're that kind of horror fan. Um, and I can't, and, and this is such a step up from Almost Human in terms of production quality. Can't wait to see his next thing. I think it's on Shutter or Amazon Prime right now. Um, so watch it. It's super fun. It's especially if you're watching a lot of heavy stuff, it's fun to watch something that's just like a gloopy 80s scanners riff with synths. Um, the Box, which is a movie I was going to save to do on the show, but... But you don't have willpower. I don't have willpower. <laughs> it's everything that Richard Kelly uh, movies are. It's uh, messy in terms of logic. I say it's like a 16-year-old on a caffeine high. like Or just a 16-year-old who's been abusing his Adderall. Like, the logic might not make sense. There's a lot of shit coming at you. But it will take you places you've never seen before. And it genuinely feels like the work of, like... A true talent. Cameron Diaz is, as always, miserable in this, and she usually and she uses that like a southern accent that's like really bad. And but the movie survives all of these weird logic jumps and becomes like something like really unique and really weird. And I think it serves the original story really well. Um, next is Orphan. Ooh. I think it's the yeah. I think it's the only. Uh, John Colette Sarah movie I've actually like loved. Same, yeah, actually. Yeah, I I love revisiting that one because it's just so so wild. It's wild but within reason. Yeah, like, yeah. It justifies everything with the plot. Like it, every weird decision is backed up by the plot, or they've told you about it earlier in the movie to forecast or foreshadow it. Like I, I'm an appreciator of his uh technical qualities. Um like run all night and nonstop and stuff like those movies are all into the shallows are so well made but this is the first time that i've ever felt like this was something transcendent above you know the typical genre trappings it's it's really wonderful um i think it kind of knocked because it has a crazy twist but the twist is so fun oh yeah um yeah, I, I haven't seen it. I know the twist. I knew the twist going in, and it doesn't ruin a thing. No. Okay. Yeah, no, nothing, uh, else, nothing else he's done has even at all compared. The, the performances are so great. It feels like almost, it's not quite hereditary level, but it feels kind of like that to me. Like, it's a domestic drama first, and then a horror movie, and then as the movie goes on, the horror takes over. Yeah. I love that. As for Lowe's, uh, I watched Beyond Reanimator finally after loving Bride, and obviously I love the original even more. Um, what do you think of Beyond? I was not a fan. I was pretty uh, pretty unenthusiastic about Beyond, not- which is a bummer because like I, I when I got into it, I'm like, sure, it was kind of aired on the Sci-Fi Network and it didn't have a budget, but like I'll watch uh, I'll watch old Jeffy. Do his he's thing. So good and he's so good in everything. Like, um, and then it was just like, this is a bummer. Can this it be is over? a bummer. It felt like it felt like a cheap cash in on something I loved. It's a it's a blank rehash that just it should not exist. Um, it's not even a good send off for the character. Like the special effects. Are, there's not even good gore. They're so bad. It is sci fi TV level. 
Yeah, there's a couple cool things in the third act, but like it is one of those movies where the first 70 minutes are going to bore the fuck out of you and then some crazy stuff will happen in the last 20 minutes, but it's like not quite there. Uh, also, got a really bad gender politics shit in there because it's from 2003. Um, little, I'll touch here on Dolls really quickly by Stuart Gordon. I don't really like Charles Band movies, but I like his Stuart Gordon ones mostly. <laughs> And his two Gordon ones are awesome. Like, Dolls is a really fun little kooky movie. Again, just like just like Mind's Eye, but in a different way. Uh, and it's a nice refresher if you're getting burned out on horror movies. Because it's just, it's like fun and silly and, and light and doesn't have, I, I'll tell you right now, it does not have a bleak ending. Which is like, kind of refreshing for, you know, horror. Bones is a movie I watched uh, by Ernest Dickerson who worked with Spike Lee, he worked, he did, he directed, uh, Demon Knight, Tales from the Crypt, which fucking rules. Is that the one with Snoop Dogg? Um, yes, Snoop Dogg is the, like, slasher, he, the slasher. Oh, okay. He's, like, genuinely, like, a talented dude who does, sometimes does terrible movies. Uh, and Aaron, do you want to know why I watched this movie most of all? He directed a little movie called Future Sport. Oh, future sports. Oh. The sport uh, of the future. Was Dean Kane in this? Uh, no, no Kane. <laughs> I was going to say, most people don't realize that really the only way the director shines is with Dean Kane. It's kind of like uh, Scorsese De Niro or Scorsese Leonardo DiCaprio or uh, Scorsese and Joe Pesci situation, really. <laughs> um, but specifically with whatever his name is and Dean Kane. Yeah, and Dean Kane, Ernest Dickerson, Dean Kane. That is, uh, yeah, it's the De Niro Scorsese for a generation. Uh, so he didn't have Dean Kane in this one. Um, I really want to talk about this one because it's it it disappointed me, but like I was so engaged with it, like I was rooting for this movie so much. Yeah, you kind of live updated me. Yeah, because I was so into it for the first seventy minutes, and then it just becomes like silly trash after for the last 20, 30 minutes, and it really it was like secret out. masterpiece. Oh wait, maybe not. This movie's yeah. garbage. Oh wait, yeah, yeah. Now I see. The, now I see the two star reviews. Got it. Pam Greer's in it. Snoop Dogg's in it. Catherine Isabel is in it. I think she's the only white person. Um, but it's got a really great like cast, and it's uh, it's very creepy at times, and and it sets up its story so well because Ernest Dickerson was a, a cinematographer who directed episodes of The Wire. Like he's a really like talented dude, and I wish someone else had written the script because in the last like 20, 30 minutes of this thing, it just. It falls apart and it's but it's so interesting to me because it has Snoop Dogg as the villain and Snoop Dogg's kind of good He's he's like compelling as this like creepy dude, which everyone see. I don't know Do you guys see Snoop Dogg as this like sweet thoughtful like stoner artist dude because that's how I see him for the most part Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I feel like his legacy is long and complicated <laughs> Yeah, I don't see him as this scary guy like in any context so I see him as like, I don't know, I see him as like a decent dude who smokes a lot of weed and like likes his family and shit. So, uh, I mean, he was accused of murder. You know, a lot of people get accused of murder. (laughs) Uh, I'm not saying he did it. I don't know enough about the case, but it is funny that you're like, he's just a sweet, sweet guy. I can never imagine him murdering someone. It's like, do you know, Peter, that this happened? I'm not like, 
you, you laid it on a little thick. I'm I'm pretty sure he like tripped over a box of guns and but I just don't see Snoop Dogg, especially in the modern context. And as someone who listened to his rap music like back in the 90s, like I still just don't see him as that kind of guy. Yeah, um, he did always seem like a big sweetheart. So he so the fact that he was able to pull off a slasher villain is super cool for me. But the fact that they fucked it up by making all of his kills really silly in the last 20, 30 minutes is like, come on. Like you had all the pieces for something amazing here and you just goofed it. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, the last two. I don't really want to talk about the psychic Lucia Fulci. It's like a Giallo movie it has a fun twist at the end. It's not really worth talking about. You want to talk about the. Uh... The other new watch for both of us, Freddy's Dead, Final Nightmare. Sweet dreams are made of this. Who am I to disagree? I travel the world and the seven seas. Everybody's looking for something. Some of them want to use you. Some of them want to get used by uh, here, you. Here, you are. Alternate. Taglines. I am alternate taglines. Um, let's tag your lines. Yafet Kodo makes me go to this movie. What the fuck was that? <laughs> you didn't uh, even have the, the the rhyming scheme down. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, Anything else in your bag uh, of gold you've been hoarding? Fuck you. Uh, I had another one. Uh, this ain't no game. Uh, well, it's incorrect, factually. <laughs> <laughs> it oh. is sort of a game. This Ain't mostly a game. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, quick recap. Uh, Frederick Von Cougar of the Vermont Von Cougars has. So it's so stupid. Um, the the reason I'm laughing is because of the dead silence I met with at the acknowledgement of how stupid that was. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, so no, it opens with the last of the Elm Street children who is dreaming on a plane. Or, well, he's not on a plane. He's dreaming about being in a plane. Uh, that And Freddy shows up to kill him. And they kind of do this like uh, opening crawl that basically says, Hey, you know all those Elm Street attacks? Well, the town went fucking nuts. And essentially, you find out throughout the course of this movie, jumping ahead a little, that they don't allow children anymore in the town. And uh, there's a couple of stragglers that are like Elm Street kids that Freddy still has access to. And kind of reminiscent of uh, uh, Dream Child and... Uh, Dream Master uses them to bring other people into his dream. So it kind of starts with this amazing kind of 10 minute dream sequence that does not result in the death. But he, this kid, uh, what's his name? Terrible actor Jones. Um, <laughs> he doesn't have a name. Okay. So uh, great. <laughs> For the first time in this podcast, I haven't actually forgotten his name. <laughs> the character is unnamed. He's re- uh, referred so untit- to throughout the whole film as John, as in John Doe. So... He's uh, literally okay. nameless. So, uh, and then at the end, you find out he's actually Tyler Durden. No, so so John Doe uh, is he's at this other like youth center for these um, these kids that don't have homes. They're working with a counselor named Maggie, uh, who you also will find out through her reaching back is not only an Elm Street kid, but Freddy Krueger's daughter. Um, what? What? When they first kind of talk about having a kid, like, that's kind of a half plot of Dream Child. So I thought that's what they were referencing. But no, this is like a uh, a child um, that he had before he was killed. Uh, and she has repressed that memory. 
They end up all going back to Elm Street because John Doe kind of sees like, this is the town. This is what I'm seeing. We need to go. They encounter a bunch of crazed locals and no kids and uh, then can't really get out of the town. Like they keep driving. They can't figure out. Very kind of reminiscent of In the Mouth of Madness. Eventually, they finally uh, end up at the Elm Street house where Freddy starts attacking you through their dreams in very cartoonish Bugs Bunny sequence. Even even for this series, uh, <laughs> there's like a there's there's a hippie music video that gives way to a video game sequence. Um, but basically, almost everyone ends up dead except Maggie and uh, what is the other one's name? And Tracy. Tracy. Uh, so Maggie and Tracy uh, survive. They go back to uh, back to the town. And Freddy's like, any town, every town has an Elm Street. So they have not been ridden. They have not rid the world of Freddy yet. And they come up with a plan. They uh, Maggie realizes that she kind of works with her counselor. Uh, that, uh, yeah, she has all these memories that she's repressed. And uh, and so they kind of fight back by essentially pulling the same stunt as the first movie, pulling him out of the dreams to kill him. But I guess it's kind of set up that it'll work this time because uh, it's it's his daughter doing it, uh, and they they kill him, and it's a, and then she says Freddy's dead, and then the movie is immediately over. Um, there's, there's, if you're hoping for an epilogue, this movie barely even gets to a conclusion, uh, but it's over, uh, and it is, and that's basically it. It is uh, kind of removed from. A lot of the other stuff, uh, especially I mentioned I just watched 4, four and 5, uh, which was kind of a trilogy um, and kind of building to that. I, I, having never seen this movie before and always kind of hearing it was one of the bad ones, which much like Peter mentioned earlier, um, I guess I, I had only seen the first one for such a long time because, again, I heard from stodgy movie critics that didn't, that didn't really get much um, – pleasure in these trashy sequels that like the first one was the only good one and then i started hearing three was the only good it was the other good one so i watched one and three until a couple years ago where i started to hear more and more on on our like facebook group like actually they're all pretty worth watching oh i saw new of course um new nightmare as well uh so I finally went back and watched two, four, five, and six, and I, I liked them all quite a bit. And I this was the last one I watched, and I thought it was a lot of fun. Like it has a very jarring thematic switch, which we'll talk about. But but overall, you know, the one thing I really like about the Nightmare on Elm Street movies that I think one one ups it from most other of these slasher series is that because he doesn't just go and kill people with knives. And there are all these dream sequences. They lend themselves to creativity uh, and a lot of craziness. So between like the, um, you know, even the video game sequence, which I think it's a lot of eye rolls, like it's a lot of fun and it's really goofy and it's original and it's something that you don't. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about a lot of the dream and death sequences, but it really sets itself apart from everything else, which is Chucky sta- stabbing someone with a knife. Um, Jason also stabbing someone with a knife. Hellraiser putting pins in you and making you feel horny and then you die. Like it's the 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 function the 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 method with which other slashers kill people don't lend themselves to this level of creativity. So even in the movies that are kind of uh, not high points. 
they are all, as Peter said, extremely worth watching. So I'm very excited you picked this. Very excited to talk about it more. Um, but this was kind of a good capper, I think, to kind of my complete watch of the series. Yeah, I think it kind of um, it's it's an interesting tone, but I think it's also pretty much the only tone it could have ended out with if they were planning to kill off the franchise, which they they kind of were at this point. Um, they um, they just believe that you know it was getting a little bit too predictable in format and. Um, just in terms of like, you know, storytelling, you know, we get introduced to these characters and then one by one, they all start getting killed off until there's, you know, one final, usually a woman um, by the end who, you know, like sways or like shoes, uh, shoes Freddy away somehow or another. Um, and especially in the last couple movies, they got very dark just in tone and aesthetic. Um, yeah, especially with uh, with Dream Child, which relied a lot on like a sort of uh, gothic atmosphere. Well, and just kind of this kind of uh, like there's a lot of question, I think, until the end of the movie about whether Freddy, uh, the kid that the kid that I think her name's Veronica. Is that right? Is pregnant with like is oh, like yeah, yeah. some sort of dream rape. Yeah. Um, and at the end, thankfully, that ends up not being the case. Um, but that's kind of implied heavily throughout the movie, which obviously you're right that just that itself as a, uh, plot of the movie, it's going to take it to a darker place. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, uh, this director, uh, Rachel Talalay, um, she kind of came onto the scene and she was actually, um, the producer for uh, four of the previous five um, Nightmare on Elm Street films. So everyone except um, except Dream Child, she had uh, she had a hand in uh, producing and sort of just worked her way up through the system until finally um, they gave her this film to direct. And this was her debut film, which is in, in retrospect, it's amazing. Like you, you just never hear of, um, you know, a female director getting given a um, uh, a huge franchise film right off the bat, especially, yeah. you know, as their debut film. Her view on it was because it had been getting so predictable and they wanted to end off the franchise uh, with a bang, so to speak. Um, they they did decide to go for a more uh, comical tone, um, especially with a more uh, darker humor. Um, she said that she was actually inspired a lot um, by uh, Twin Peaks, which had been airing at the time, um, which is why there's an emphasis on a more um, darker humor sort of tone, um, you know, minus the, the Looney Tunes humor of, of yeah. a lot of it, um, but also why there are a number of cameos in the film, um, which is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, and those and those two of those cameos held up really well. There's there's nothing I like more than watching a movie and seeing Roseanne and Johnny Depp in it nowadays. Um. <laughs> yeah, I when that popped up, I was like, uh, these probably were pretty cute at the time, but <laughs> they couldn't have picked two worse people unless they picked like Bill. Cosby that was that was my that was my other thought too. Like, is Bill Cosby next? Like, yeah. <laughs> A young James Franco. I was pretty into this, uh, far more than I expected, because uh, a it's a late sequel. Uh, it was a fake attempt to close out the series, which, like Jason goes to hell and such. Like I, I 
I just know those attempts usually don't go well. Um, I ended up really enjoying it. I, the, the tonal shifts are gave me whiplash. It is hard to sometimes take Freddy seriously as a killer in one second, and then a few seconds later be like, oh, it's kind of funny that he's like bouncing these people around. I, I genuinely had a lot of fun with it, and it does feel like one of those movies that was made from both a cynical place and also it was made from a place that had some love for the character because there's compromises within it that made it feel like the fact that like i don't know it ends and then you're like is this actually the end feels like it's sort of a a cynical compromise but the fact that um we go back to like his roots and this isn't just like another entry in the series feels like it was made by people who were like legitimately trying to close the book on him um and and the, the latter was far more charming to me than the the former. So you liked some of the more serious stuff. I liked I liked going back to the roots and I liked the feeling that this was yeah, like this was a final chapter. Um after getting very comfortable with two through four, which felt like it was like, oh Freddie will be, you know, just around forever. You can't kill him. He's a you know, he's a well, and of course, he kind of comments on that. He's like, I, which I, in a scene I really like, where he's like, they've burned me. Oh, yeah. Uh, while, <laughs> while he cuts off their fingers. And, and again, it's it's uh, it's kind of that perfect meta, but also uh, commentary on the fact that they couldn't kill him. But also, hey, uh, yeah, no, I, I get it. They haven't killed me yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's... um. And I, part of me that has that franchise fatigue, and there's a big that is the reason that I haven't seen a lot of these movies. Uh, part of me has that franchise fatigue, and it makes me feel like um, something at least attempting to close the book on a character is worthy. And I really do like New Nightmare, and I'm glad that like it's both like left the book closed, but found a different approach to the character. And I and then that same part of me really does like hates freddy versus jason oh you hate freddy versus jason i really don't like that movie hmm. i think it's it's just like this really sleek modern glossy like post scream thing that just like it, it's answering a question that like i don't think anybody really wanted answered right and it doesn't answer yeah that question yeah even you're totally right i do think everyone wanted it answered whether they answered it successfully i i do i mean you you hear about the production hell on that. And I think there was a lot of interesting takes. I agree that the take they settled on isn't the best. But um, I remember having a lot of fun with the movie. But you're right. It does feel, and maybe this is what they were trying to do, King Kong versus Godzilla, then Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, and I think it kind of makes both characters uninteresting in a sort of a blandening effect where... yeah. I, I don't really want to see them as these superheroes um, that have specific powers and this is how those powers, you know, mash up against one another. It just didn't it just didn't appeal to me. I wanted to see, you know, what does Freddy bring to the table in his own movies and what is I wanted to I wanted to get a good pitch for Jason too. like tell me why these Friday the movies that I've not really been a fan of. Tell me why these Friday movies are something I should check out. From what I hear, most of them you shouldn't. At some point, I am going to go through the whole series. Yeah. Um, Lizette, what's your thoughts on Freddy vs. Jason? Um, yeah, basically, I just felt like it kind of missed the point. 
Um, I rewatched it uh, fairly recently, and I was just bored out of my mind. And I, <laughs> I just, I hate the sludginess of it all. And I, like this kind of, kind of a, you know, not, not really such a big point, but I think it really added to my dislike. Was I hated the soundtrack? It was just. Not, not oh, yeah. at all, not at all appealing. Early two thousands new metal ruined everything. I think it was even produced by Roadrunner Records. So like, oh. it's ugh, yeah, just not, not not too much to like there. And then yeah, by the end it just felt like you know that's it. Is that is is that really what I I kind of expected more from it? Um, do, well, are you a fan of the Friday Thirteenth movies? Or are you kind of like us, where like you've seen a handful? But like, there, I mean, like I have some affection for Jason X. Uh, and I think the remake is actually really good. Uh, unlike the remake to Nightmare on Elm Street, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I turned off halfway through, which I never oh, do. God. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, yeah, I, I have, I've only seen, I think, like one, three, and eight after those. Yeah, I've seen one, two, probably parts of three. And then actually, just a couple days ago, I watched um, Jason Lives, uh, which is, is that, six or seven or i think it's six, it's six. but um yeah uh which yeah just i i was calling it jason elvis the whole time just <laughs> just to mock it because it was just bad i'm i'm really not a fan of the nightmare or the i'm sorry the um friday the 13th series at all it could never grab my attention and i i just don't think jason is very interesting i'm still waiting for the movie that as someone who's seen i don't know three or four of them I'm still waiting for the movie that will pitch me on why Jason is interesting. But I, I keep seeing movies in a similar mold, like Aaron showed me The Burning, um, that I think are way more interesting uh, and have more to say with their weird, uh, you know, summer camp killer character or sleepaway camp, which also has a lot more to say with their weird, slum, uh, you know, uh, summer camp killer character than Jason, who's like, I agree that, like, one and two and four are all, like, really fun slasher movies, but they don't hold my attention uh, in the way that, like, the Nightmare movies do. And can I highlight real quickly how much I love Nightmare 2? Yes! Nightmare 2 eventually. Yes! It's so good! It's so good Nightmare that... Nightmare 2 is... Yes! Without being reductionist, Nightmare 2 is the gay one. <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, it's a wonderful movie because it's... Uh, it took a formula that was i think destined to be franchised out right killer finds a group of kids haunts that group of kids you know through dreams and weird sort of surreal effects and you know as the movies would go on maybe the effects would get cheaper or maybe they get more expensive depending on how much money the last one made blah 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 with with two i like that they immediately jumped into weirdo psychosexual territory <laughs> This movie, part six, Freddy's Dead, kind of uh, plays with two a little bit. This is the first time we've talked about a franchise, so it's fun. I can kind of like compare and contrast. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say, uh, well, yeah, on two, that was the first one where I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch all these. That's where I was at, dude. And I was kind of yeah. like two, five, and six were the ones I felt like they were going to be just piles of shit based on everything I'd ever heard about them. And two, I think I gave like four and a half stars on Letterboxd. I'm like, if this is one of the bad ones, like, I'm very excited to finish up this series. If that's one of the bad ones and it still has so much 
of a unique energy to it and it feels like it, it it's um so character based and it's about like actual teens like struggling through something while they're also being harassed by this demon that's awesome like that's so great uh this movie is very similar except for a, i'm not behind john's struggle but what's similar about it is that i like the idea of freddie almost trying to corrupt john up to a point like he's trying to get into john's head for some reason it, it ends up all being a red herring for who freddie's child is uh, who the K Kruger is. Freddy's not just trying to murder kids because, like, that's a little too simplistic. Freddy trying to, like, kind of break down a single kid and, like, bend him to his will is somehow more compelling. And, yeah. And yeah. Especially in your dream, because your dreams can take advantage of all your vulnerabilities. Like, whereas in, just getting murdered in your dreams isn't... I mean, it's scary, obviously. It's scary. There's a reason why these movies were talking about them, you know, 20 years after the fact, but 30 years, excuse me, after the fact. But uh, the the idea of someone within your dreams almost trying to like brainwash you and break you to their will is like doubly scary, I think, than just trying to kill you. Yeah. And to like add on to that, too, um, when you're watching the movie, there comes a point where um, John as they find out more and more about about Freddy and 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 his past and that he has a kid and that might be what he's in for um John becomes slowly convinced that he is Freddy's son which which and he's he's pretty much he's pretty much fully convinced of that at a certain point which makes the scene where you know the scene of of his actual death like all the more I guess heart wrenching in a way. Um, you know, he's he's pretty much free falling, and then there's a parachute, but Freddie's, you know, cutting off the strings, and he's like, "Oh, you're my you're my father. I'm your I'm your son." And he's like, "No, you're not." And then he just kind of leaves him with that and has him like free fall to his death. And then you know, just to add insult to injury, he'll just push a bed of nails down so he could just get stabbed to death with that <laughs> so it's just it, it just made me think of that like that that whole scene and how sort of um just how how sad the whole situation is but um you know in a in a darkly humoristic kind of way well and we talked a little bit last week about like protagonist shift movies and this absolutely has oh, yeah. that which is a rare feat to pull off where yeah you do think that john is the son and uh is his kid and then when it switches to nope you were just a trap to lure my actual kid yeah he's just kind of dismissed from the movie without much ceremony and no one mourns him uh john had to go back to his home planet i get it like you go back in these movies and some people are not good actors and that's fine they don't have to be. <laughs> he is especially bad like he yeah. there's a line where it, <laughs> i think it deserves to be as famous as the showgirls line where like i forget now i'm forgetting what she yells specifically Which showgirls? <laughs> the one that she yells that every oh different places the where are you from <laughs> the movie rules molly asks him where are you from in this she says, he says, in this exact tone, they are having a normal conversation. Where are you from? I don't know. <laughs> like, like, you went from zero to 18 very quickly. He was like, I need to stay awake. Do you have any coffee? Any Coke? I meant the soda. <laughs> yeah, I meant the soda. Just yeah, like, it's 
It's really bad. But that, that the moment you talk about where he snips the, the lines on the parachute and or the you know whatever, and he falls to his death, it is darkly comic because that feels that does feel like I mean, it's not even Bugs Bunny. It's like Woody Woodpecker because Woody Woodpecker was a dick to people for no reason, right? Like Bugs Bunny, at least like somebody would. Somebody would wrong him in the first few minutes, you know, Elmer Fudd would be trying to murder him. Um, and then all of a sudden, it justifies all... Bullshit. Well, but in fairness to Elmer Fudd, it was rabbit hunting season, so... <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was in season. What do you do? I just don't know why Elmer Fudd couldn't move on to a different rabbit. There seemed to be a lot of them. <laughs> it posits Maybe. a different future with one rabbit. <laughs> um, which, speaking of which... That really speaks to the movie in microcosm, that it will take a very serious moment, which is our hero, essentially, being rejected by the hero's call. Like, it'd be like if Joseph Campbell came in and he's like, no, 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 you're not even the hero. It's this it's this lady over here. It's Catherine. Um, <laughs> that Freddy just, like, rejects him and throws him away like that is is the dark humor of the movie, where he's just like... That is a that's a prank that he pulled on this kid, basically, and it makes him happy because he's a sadistic. Yeah, I, I do want to circle back to the alternate universe theory uh, of Bugs Bunny just because I'm pretty sure this movie takes place in 2001. Either takes place in 2001 or 1994. I think it's 1999. I think it's supposed to be 10 years oh, okay. after the, the events of the previous film, okay. which was 89, and then it'd be... 99. 99 makes sense because uh, all the characters were singing Live in La Vida Loca. So I think oh, yeah. you're <laughs> correct. <laughs> oh. Well, they some of them do get inside out. Yeah, people were worried about having their sun's, sunshine stolen. Like yeah. oh. <laughs> permanently. There's that part where Freddie kills him and goes, you know what? You get what you give. <laughs> and he puts on a stupid hat dances around uh anyways those are all the songs we know from 1999 yeah but it is it is kind of weird that they jump ahead that much in the future let's talk a little bit about the concept of actually dealing with uh the effects of five movies worth of uh dream murders that are happening in your town uh and all your kids keep getting killed like i really like that they start with Okay, if this is actually happening, like what ends up happening to the town? Well, the town doesn't want to keep their kids there because they all keep getting violently murdered by this person that all these parents murdered. So they like send them out of the town and then are kind of driven mad with separation from their their loved ones. Like that's a an amazing concept to start a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. I could be wrong, but I actually think it explains at the beginning that Freddy actually killed off all the kids. That's that's in the like almost escape from New York thing <laughs> where they're showing you like text over a map. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess my only confusion was is that like, well, I guess no, I guess you're right because Roseanne and, and Tom Arnold at some point are like they can't stay here. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I think you're right. Yeah. Even worse, all the kids are finally and dead. And then like, yeah, because when they bring uh, John Doe in, he's um, you know, they're asking him like, you know, oh, where are you from? Who are you? And he's like, I know, I don't know where I'm from, but I know I'm the last of something. I don't know. <laughs> this movie's so nineties, incredibly nineties in that regard. Like, like having a really good opening con concept. 
<laughs> yeah, it's so it opens with that like grungy version of the theme, and then all of the music in it is sort of like yeah, like, and, and all the kids like Brecken Meyer is in this fucking thing. So P.S. My phone. I just realized this now, or when I was looking at my notes, my phone helpfully autocorrected. Uh, Breckenmeyer to Breckenridge Meyer, and I think that should be his <laughs> name going forward. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you refer to people by their proper Christian name. This is his first movie. And you can tell. And <laughs> he is a Bart Simpson. Yes. Um, which makes it even more 90s because he's uh, sort of like, a, you know, he's a bad boy. He's making a pipe bomb. I guess Bart Simpson didn't really smoke pot. Or make pipe bombs, really. Cherry bombs. Yes. Yeah. He's sort of like a Bart Simpson eight years later, and it's very depressing. Got a ponytail. Very depressing. <laughs> All of them are edgy, basically, uh, in, an, in a very 90s way. But I think that that's actually a good thing. Um, it reminds me also of the Dream Warriors group because they were also a group of damaged kids. Kids that, that get recruited by John are all from, or they're not even recruited, they just end up on the journey with John. John is too much of a non-character to recruit anybody, but end up on the journey with John are all essentially these misfits and these freaks and outsiders, and I'm, I'm, all those are in quotes because they're, and uh, it's similar to the Dream Warriors, which were all like suicidal kids, essentially. Not only is it a very 90s thing to have your cast be all outsiders, I think it's a very dramatically compelling thing. It operates off the idea that these kids, you know, they might be more damaged. They might have seen more shit than, you know, your standard run-of-the-mill, you know, happy kids. Um, which I guess, you know, the kids at the beginning of the first Nightmare movie were pretty happy, right? They all seem like normal kids. But in this, they're tougher because they've been damaged, just like in Dream Warriors. Like, the, that gauntlet of terror and pain has made them a little tougher. And I, I just think that's a really interesting way to take this stuff because usually we see survivors of attempted suicide or we see survivors of domestic abuse and all that as these like fragile little waifs and like oh one sudden breeze might snap them in half but it's kind of fun to see a horror movie which the genre can be really regressive at times with its depictions to to treat these people like heroes and to treat these people like badasses for a little bit and the fact that they can take a little bit more than the usual people because they've seen more shit yeah and yeah, it, that's totally right. And I think it's also especially the case with um, the female characters here, not just uh, Tracy, but yeah. with Maggie, because, oh, yeah. um, you know, they both have their own sense of, of trauma or their own personal traumas, rather. But they've kind of they also do have their own sense of agency um, in having to having to deal with that. Um which I think was is a very powerful touch. Yeah, I really do like all that stuff. I and maybe this is a good time to kind of jump into um, the kind of tonal confusion of this movie because it just it feels so jarring because Freddy has never been this cartoonish before. He's definitely bumped up against this, but there's like moments in this movie where he seems almost unconcerned about killing the kids. And really just likes playing with them, like the video game sequence yeah. where the Wicked Witch thing at the beginning, <laughs> um, he just seems, and I like that, like I really like this idea of turning him away from kind of this child molesting origins of him, uh, which, is, which is something I kind of want to touch on in general because that's something that's kind of hinted on in the first movie. 
and then isn't a huge component, but it's always in the background. And then one of the things that the remake, why I fucking hate it so much, it's like the remake is let's really double down on the fact that Freddy is like a child rapist. Yeah. And focus almost exclusively on that. And it's like. Why would anyone want to watch mm-hmm. this movie? And But I think this, in the original series, this is the first one that really brings that to the forefront. And I agree with you 100%, Peter. And was that about like, I like the way the teens are depicted as these tough people. But that really does – my biggest problem with the movie, a movie I, I, like I said, I very much liked overall. My biggest problem with the movie is the way that that exists on top of also the goofiest shit that they've had Freddy – do so it's it's very weird tonally in that it's probably the most serious they've addressed the uh freddie didn't just kill these children like he sexually abused and raped them and then it also is the goofiest and most playful freddie is from a murder standpoint so it's just it's very jarring i think both of them in in a vacuum are done well but it's it's very tough watching those um exist side by side yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, that's my that's what's holding me back a little bit because I would have loved a whole movie of Freddy being a full-on cartoon character. When it gets to the video game section, I was like, "Holy shit, this would be like if Joe Dante in the mid-90s were really yeah. in this luck and had to t- Joe Dante would have made it all sort of a cohesive piece." This does ask a lot of audiences to sort of, you know, accept that whiplash between like some very like scary scenes of like freddy krueger not in costume fucking robert england dressed in a domestic setting smashing a woman's head against a tree uh in wide shot thankfully while a child watches then you know seconds later freddy is like it's game time bitch or whatever like (laughs) it's it's it is a little hard to swallow all as like a cohesive piece but i love all the I love a lot of the individual elements of what they did here. Now, the one theory that I have, and was that maybe maybe this is something that I'm missing, is that I do think because once it goes to that area of like the domestic abuse uh, and everything else that like Freddie represents, it stays there. It never goes back to being goofy and funny, which is a very good decision. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I can almost see it as. And I don't – again, I have no idea if this was the director's point, but I could almost see it as a kind of an indictment on the fact that Freddy got so goofy and funny um, by bringing up what, like, you've been cheering on for all these years. Like, I, I think you could make a case that it almost does work at, like, hey, you know, because the Freddy movies and the Jason movies kind of became – and I think why a lot of kind of stuffy critics were like, this is bad – which I disagree with wholeheartedly, but they did kind of become these things where you went and cheered on the deaths. And that's the case for myself in a lot of these movies, too, because they're inventive and I like gore effects and I like, you know, how uh, how crazy some of these things can be. But Freddy, which had the goofiest and lines and, the you know, he was the one that talked back and had the ones that, like, people really went on his side. Like, he has the most abhorrent backstory. So... I don't know if this was it. I've never heard this before, even on the the documentary Never Sleep Again. But, like, I could see it maybe as something of, like, almost indicting the audience a little. Like, hey, yeah, you had a good time with him for the last hour? You remember what he is, though, right? 
like this. That's what you've been enjoying. That's actually a really good point, too, because by this point, like, you know, he had already kind of been like a bit of a joke and a bit played out. Yeah. I think there was a, a 900 number. Yeah. Where you could call the number and talk to Freddy, which is something that everybody wants to do, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let me say gendered insult to for a while. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> 399 a minute. <laughs> but I guess, um, I mean, yeah, you actually bring up a really good point, which um, I, I've honestly never really considered until this point. And I think that's maybe why at least you know just from my personal standpoint why so many of these death scenes are probably a bit more unsettling to me than um you know maybe some others in some of the previous films um you know give or take like some of the more gruesome ones i think it is more of just like a push a push and pull of you know, I'm supposed to be laughing at this, but, you know, I feel bad laughing at this because it's, you know, it's obvious that, you know, these these kill scenes are a bit more torturous and more um, yeah. involved in, like, letting, like, the, the scenes themselves last for as long as possible before, you know, killing killing off these, like, these poor kids. And I think that is sort of why there is this sense of discomfort watching it, because there is that that jarring factor of the humor that, you know, maybe doesn't work all the time, but, you know, at least it brings some some other interesting element to the table. Yeah, and it's not that I necessarily have a problem with this idea of a killer that is quippy and funny and that audiences enjoy watching, like, I think there's a place for that in cinema, but it does feel this movie is going out of its way to remind you of like, hey, he's not just a killer. Um, he's he's truly a monster. And you have spent years sitting in theaters cheering him on as he calls people a bitch and then murders them violently. Like, he's not the cuddly neighborhood serial killer. Like, there's this dark history that no one's been highlighting and you know she, the director of this she takes a magnifying glass to that and i and again transposed with the how goofy everything is before that and then stop suddenly once um, maggie has a realization you know i i almost wonder if that tonal uh uncomfortableness is intentional now that we're now that we're discussing it. Right, right. I do like that it wrangles with that part of Freddy and it doesn't yeah. use it as uh, Aaron, you said you didn't watch the Nightmare remake all the way through. I, I have never seen it. I It really was like the most misguided. I, there's about 10 movies I can talk about that I've turned off halfway through. I'm sure like a lot of us, it's like, well, once I've committed, um, I'm just going to see it. And if I give it one star on Letterboxd, they give it one star. This was like just 45 minutes of like high school kids crying in cafeterias about what they went through with Freddy. Oh, no. And it was like, this is beyond the pale of... I Like, I just didn't even understand. Well, first of all, that's a very specific part that was not... Like I said, it was in the background for most of these movies. So the idea that, like, you go and say, that's what we should really focus on raised my eyebrow to begin with. Because if anything, it seems like, why don't you just do the more fun thing? I get it's 2010 and everything's gritty. But, like, they leaned into it so hard. It was like, I'm fucking done with this movie. This is, like, this is bothersome to me on a level that I would usually power through, but not this time. 
Not today. It sounds like that movie mishandled the sexual violence aspect of it by leaning into it as a legitimate tragedy and then being like, oh, also, it's a fun slasher movie. It seemed to enjoy wallowing in it, which is different than like addressing it. That's a good clarification. Whereas with this, it seemed like it wanted to recognize the inner horror of, of Freddy and where he came from, because it also talks about the circle of violence. Yeah. Freddy was into self-harm. He found himself using self-harm as some sort of release for his angst, his violent tendencies, whatever whatever was going on under the hood. Coping uh, mechanism. Self-harm for it. Yes, his coping mechanism. And then his dad comes to beat him, and he's like, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> let's... Let's do this, Alice Cooper. <laughs> and so it, it is interested in the sort of circle of violence that like, yes, you are Freddy's child. And this is where Freddy came from. So like, um, but it doesn't let Freddy off the hook. Like Freddy dies, in quotes, Freddy dies a villain in this, which is kind of somewhat admirable that they're like, they recognize where Freddy came from, but they're not letting him off the moral hook. Speaking of the moral hook, the, the hardest I left though at this movie, which I almost feel bad because it is um, kind of one of the series before it gets really serious. But that jump cut to Freddy is like a six, six year old or seven year old in class. With a giant <laughs> hammer who just immediately <laughs> puts it down on that mouse. Like, it was such a good use of editing to be like, he's already has the hammer raised in this, like, full class of people doing stuff. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was meant to be funny, but it was it was very well choreographed to elicit a kind of a shock laugh. I was actually me. thinking during that scene. So I would so you would think like probably in like this would be the 1940s more or less in this like uh classroom. Yeah. So, you know, all these students are taunting him and they have a shot of, you know, the students as kids calling him a uh, son of a hundred maniac. There, there's actually like a little black girl in there. And I think I also saw, you know, another another black kid somewhere in there. So then I just thought like, you know, if you're in the 1940s and you've got like the black kids taunting you, then that must mean you must be like you know, pretty, pretty hated. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> he actually helped desegregation in that small town. Yeah. White, whites and blacks united to hate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the one thing everyone We'll share a drinking on. fountain. <laughs> We'll share a drinking fountain so we can have a Freddy Krueger drinking fountain. <laughs> You're right. Uh, although my guess is the real reason is they didn't think of when the time. Oh, no. I mean, what? of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they could have sped it up. Uh, Freddy is like the, one of the only horror icons or whatever that never went to space. Think about it. Space dreams. Seems like a shame. You know? You're like, you're like dreaming about a robot. And oh, not a robot. It's Freddy. Nightmare <laughs> <laughs> oh. on space. Elm Street. You yeah. have to have streets in space also. Nightmare on space street. I mean, he also has the entirety of, of the dream world at his expense too. So that in itself is kind of... It's a lot of space. Yeah. To talk about, I don't think we've talked about most of the kill... We didn't talk about the ear scene at all. Yeah, let's talk about that. That oh, is yeah. fucking There's gross. A <laughs> yeah. There's a hearing impaired kid who... So Freddy... God damn it. He takes a Q-tip, puts it through his ear, and knocks the... The hearing aid out. Yeah. And the kid's just deaf. Yeah, I mean, more more stuff happens after that. <laughs> <laughs> the kid is, like, wandering around, and Freddy is, like, bouncing behind him and dancing and shit to, like, yeah. show that the kid can't hear him, and he's screaming and stuff, which is, like, kind of creepy. The idea of, like, 
just sort of letting us see something that you know that the, the kid isn't seeing. It would have been creepier if I was more emotionally attached to Carlos. And it really sets up like in the, uh, he's a mischievous imp. It seems like a nice enough kid. <laughs> yeah. Then his hearing aid like turns into like a, something from the Hellraiser box. Yes. And um, then, yes, the hear, he wants to have his hearing back so bad because he can't find Freddy and he's like just scared, um, which is understandable. And Freddy gives him back his hearing, but with, you know, like a, a monkey's paw curse that it's actually he gets like super ears that are overly sensitive to sounds. And there's a whole like Bugs Bunny-esque scene of, of a pin tracking a pin falling down. That yeah. Freddy it even dropped. makes that you sort know, of pin. whistle sound as it's falling. Yes. Very comical. That felt like a Joe Dante moment where he's like, I'm going to spend a decent bit of money making sure this shot looks cool. <laughs> and I, I actually wrote that down that scene because it does feel like why Freddy movies are so good in a nutshell. Uh, it's they all have like these amazing concepts around them and it's like okay a kid with a hearing aid like no one ever stops at like the one thing in most cases anyways like it's like okay so this happens now what's next and it's this idea of and this movie does it as good as any of them it's this idea of just keep building and building off of one central concept uh until sometimes it gets crazy and ridiculous like um the the best kill of the scene in four with the roaches oh, but like yeah. it doesn't matter it's like okay Here's our concept, hearing aid. Let's think of 10 things that could be scary about uh, a hearing aid or running into a roach motel or uh, falling out of an airplane. And then they're never sad. I feel like the lazier version of this series that's not as endlessly rewatchable or iconic is they just do the one thing, right? Like take away the hearing aids or turn the volume up and drop the pin. But, like, the way they just keep cycling through ways that uh, they're, like, they're, they keep orbiting their one central conceit is why, and going for broke each time, is why, like, these movies are so much fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I really wanted to touch on with this is that, like, they're lucky that they chose a concept that relies so much on surreality and craziness because – that kind of guarantees that every movie at least needs to take a swing at that. And with this, there's a lot of crazy shit going on. Particularly, yes, the the demon ears that, that you know, it's, it's sort of like, it would be an ironic punishment if the kid deserved punishment. Um, the whole idea that, like, Freddy can make this world, he's like, she's like, oh, yeah, like, I'm not afraid of you anymore. And he's like, but I set the rules. Is It just makes this so much scarier. And it, it, it's like a large scale, like, macro elaboration of the idea that, like, yes, it's scary when a masked bad guy comes into your house because that's your space. It's sacred. It's yours. There's something weirdly scarier about having a reason to go through a madman space that is a um, extrapolation of their psyche, right? And that's why Freddy movies are so scary and, and you know, at least like visually interesting is because you're going through some sort of different interpretations and extrapolations of, of Freddy's psyche. So it's, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's part of the reason it's so scary. That house is so dank and gross and there's roaches climbing on shit. And, it's, and then all of a sudden, like, just like, like oh, yeah. 
I'm nowhere near home. This is all their space. I'm not just in the killer's, you know, space, like, you know, geographically, like I'm in the killer's mind. Just like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they have so much trouble escaping because like nothing quite makes sense, even though it's like a recognizable house that they keep going into rooms that they're like, I don't know. Is this a way out? Everything is just has animal parts everywhere. Um, (laughs) Yeah. If you're stuck in someone's head, it's the same way. Like, okay, does this room lead out? Oh, nope. This leads to a totally different carnival room uh, because I'm in someone's head. Although, if anyone needed a shrink to to enter his head, based on going in there, I think Freddy got the right person for the job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I I, I like comparing this series more to Phantasm. You would compare it to Hellraiser because Hellraiser also leaned into surreality very quickly, like in the second movie, basically. But Hellraiser got very shitty after three, so it's... Uh, I'd say after two. I didn't really like three, but Hellraiser... I haven't seen three, but I know some people that like it. Yeah, Hellraiser 2 rules, though. It's my favorite of them. And, and Hellraiser 2 would feel like of a kin to this series. But yeah, very Phantasm much so. Is, Phantasm is way more of a kin to this series. Um, you know, it starts as like a dreamy, grounded kind of horror movie at the beginning, and then it develops into like this bigger mythology and lore, and then... Like, people start taking the fight to the villain within, like, two or three movies. Only seen the first. And we never really get, like, a new nightmare for Phantasm. The last one's just kind of, like, you know, sort of closing the book on the series. So, but Phantasm does the dreamscape weirdness sort of, like, dream logic thing where you're like, well, I guess we're in a new set piece now. Um, So, I, I think it's a better comparison point than Friday the 13th. Uh, Lizette, have you ever seen the Phantasm movie? Um, I've only seen the first one. If you have a good uh, tolerance for, you know, 90s, more uh, 90s style production, then I think you'll really like two through four, two through three. Okay, good to hear. I'll put that on my list. Yeah, two's on my Spooktober list. Um, I like all of them uh, to some degree. Yeah, even when it takes a step down in terms of respectability, I'm still seeing things here that I'm not seeing on this scale in any other movie. Uh, yeah, so the last thing I had for scene-wise is just like, it's kind of weird. Uh, we really talk about this and that's fine because it's not a good idea and the special effects are worse. But, like, there's, like, three floating skeleton head dream gods that, like, Freddy gave Freddy his power demons. to go invade dreams. Sorry, yeah. dream. Dream <laughs> demons. Weird coelacanth fossils. It's a bad concept and it's barely in this, but whatever. I just don't understand why they gave the ghost heads the, like, Simpsons nerd voices. Because they do all <laughs> sound like, oh, no, Freddy's gone. It's like... Who thought that? Like, Dream Demon sounds fucking cool as shit. Dream God's my mistaken one. <laughs> cool as well. But, like, if... Oh, this is the Dream Demon. Hello! Please, please let us possess you so you can kill children. Like, it's not not a great look. Talks like Peter's normal voice is what I'm saying, essentially. Ugh, you <laughs> asshole. <laughs> them kind of, uh... Them kind of, uh, being these, like, demon fish things that float around, and that being the explanation for how Freddy got his powers is also, like, kind of one of those things where... Lord eventually does detract from the power yeah. of simplicity. Like letting your brain fill in the gaps is uh, usually a pretty good move. But I guess I feel like they were setting it up more for like, well, how how will they know that he doesn't come back this time? It's like, well, this time <laughs> the dream demons are gone. So I think people are going to be pretty accepting that he's gone forever. There's quite a difference between like the video game dream and the abusive fathers in this. Like, yeah. Sort of his final thoughts. 
But, like, there are moments that kind of capture the halfway point between comedy and very serious grim horror that I think what the series is so good at. So, like, there's a scene where Fink, uh, Freddy holds his hands up and he's like, "They, tr- you, tr- you think you can kill me? They tried to kill me this way. And he chops off a finger and say, they burned me. And he chops off another finger and say, they buried me. And then he chops off another finger and say, they tried to use holy water on me. And chops off another finger. Like, I, I think that was, like... A- kind of like a perfect encapsulation of what I want Freddy to be in the late movies, which is just doing ridiculous shit terrifies people, but still kind of funny. Like he's chopping his fingers (laughs) off to make a point. Like, and then like, yeah, there's a point where he's like, and this is my favorite. And then he actually holds up his middle finger and essentially just flips off the audience (laughs) as he that that's when he says like the holy water line and that's yeah kind of basically what you're talking about for a closing thought for me um it did feel kind of good that this felt like an actual finish for freddy because at this point i was very much done with the character like i think that especially you know people don't seem to like five i will eventually watch five someday after that i feel like this is a fun movie i think rachel salale as somebody who worked on the series for, you know, four movies previous, bring a sense of history to it. And I like that she wanted to reflect on the themes that she didn't really have time to reflect on um, in the previous movies because she was a producer or, you know, special effects person and what have you. And for this, she gave a good closing movie on the franchise. I'm sure if I had seen this movie and then saw a new nightmare being marketed, I would have been like, but don't worry, it's a new one. We've already closed the book after this movie. Um, and I and I really do like New Nightmare, but I'm done with the, the t- typical Freddy stuff. You know, they intended this film to be the final of a series, but after, sadly, the, the poor reviews on it, you know, the reputation it, it kind of got as, like, being the worst of the franchise eventually. Like, Wes Craven was kind of like, okay, well, I'll make another one then. Um, so, so really, yeah. without this film, we wouldn't have had New Nightmare as it stands. You know, if you want to thank it for anything, then you could thank it for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, okay, okay, I'll... Yeah, I'll just say, uh, I'll say for my final thoughts, and then Lizette, you can have the final word here. Um, like, I really, um, I really enjoy this discussion, and I really think that the, the path to let us down kind of giving you all the goofy funny freddy shit but also make you a little bit reckon with the goofy funny freddy shit is kind of unlocks it for me and just makes it even more interesting as a not just a capper to the movie but like a capper to the series as a whole like it really um feels like now that we're discussing it it is trying to get the audience to notice something that it probably hasn't really thought about um for the run of the series. That's that's a so that even if it's not like a real true plot wrap up because most of the wrap up plot threads are introduced in this movie, it really does feel at the very least like a thematic wrap up of uh coming full circle to where the series began uh while also reckoning with what the series had become. So, um I think it's like I said I I I don't know if that's exactly what was intended, but Assuming that it is, which I almost have to at this point, like it feels kind of brilliant in a way of uh, kind of kind of doing something the audience wasn't expecting and maybe didn't didn't really recognize uh, and maybe didn't like. Like I said, my first my first uh, thought was like that was really uncomfortable tonally, but 
I wouldn't be surprised with someone, especially who was with the series for as long as she was, uh, if the if the director wasn't trying to make you a little uncomfortable. So I really enjoyed this, um, and I, it it was kind of also the perfect capper to my uh, my viewing of the series as a whole. I see this as a just one of the top tier Freddy movies. I just think more people should come around to it as being just genuinely fun and genuinely creative um, by yeah. its own right. And I guess I have the stance of not really having uh, grown up on watching any of the films. I didn't watch the um, the first film until I was around 18 or 19. So I guess I don't have the sort of like baked in idea of Freddy as this menacing villain. I just kind of see him as I kind of gotten the the sense that he already was this sort of comical villain just from the get go. So, you know, those yeah. parts didn't really bother me all too much. And if anything, it kind of um, made me enjoy the film all the more. I do think it's genuinely funny, even though, as you say, it is yeah. also um, discomforting in a lot of ways. But I was I'm also just very surprised at how much I enjoy it uh, more and more. <laughs> yeah, the franchise is always really good with having um, strong female protagonists, but I think it's especially the case here, especially with the case and um, repressed trauma, which the series has always sort of played around with throughout its entire run. And I think this especially just sort of um, encapsulates that. Also, you know, provides some pretty good backstory to the whole Freddy mythos yeah. as a whole. I'm really passionate about this film and about <laughs> uh, Rachel Talalay in general. And it's really sad that she didn't have too much of a a filmmaking career after this although i see she's doing good things with doctor who so that's always you know always a plus yeah and she did uh we didn't really talk about she did yeah, tank she... girl which i haven't seen but everyone is like you need to see tank girl well yeah. after this film she did uh one called ghost in the machine uh which is um not really like totally great but it's you know very kind of an underrated sort of look at like sci-fi and technology of the 90s, especially like computer technology. And I think Tank Girls especially just very, very messy, but a lot of it just had to do with um, the studio limitations that was placed upon her. I think it was only made for about uh, $25 million, which, you know, if you're going to make a Tank Girl film... <laughs> yeah you're going to need more than that. It's a lot of yeah, sets. Yeah, exactly. A lot of sets, insane costumes, and, you know, just... And they didn't have any faith for, faith in it from the get-go, which is, you know, from there, it also got poor reception, and it bombed at the box office. And from there, it just, you know, she kind of just never made another, another feature film again. Just really sad, but I always, like, go back to how she was... She was sort of trusted right off the bat to make her debut film, the last film of a very successful horror franchise. And it, it did very well. I've made it sort of my goal in life to get more people to come around to this film um, and Rachel Talalay in general because I think she's so good and so brilliant in her vision and uh, I think especially this this film is a good example of that. Yeah, no, that is perfect and I, I agree. I'm so happy that not, not just that you brought this movie for us to talk about and watch but also that it gave me an excuse to finally watch 4 and 5. I think 4 is in the running for my favorite of these movies. Like it is just so much fun. And I, I said it last week when we were kind of talking about doing this episode, and I'll, I'll I should probably say it on the episode proper. Like it really cemented my my belief that like all the Freddy or all the Freddy movies minus the remake are absolutely worth your time. And this is a series where 
I, I can see myself going back to many, many times, and this is such a good uh, good wrap-up. So thank you so much again for not just bringing this to us, but, but appearing oh, on yeah, our show. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, I hope you will uh, come back again in the future. I'd love to. <laughs> Excellent! Lizette, you were absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for bringing this one on, especially because this one might have taken us a while to get to. Like yeah. I just pointed out, like, we haven't done these big franchises at all. Yeah, of course. Reason. And we definitely went to start it with six. So Yeah. I was actually afraid that it'd be so different from the rest of the lineup from this month. Um, not afraid, but it was just kind of unexpected that enough people actually wanted to hear me talk about this film in general. Because, you know, who who doesn't want to hear about Ravenous or the Baba Duke or Carrie? But like if you ever give this one a chance, it's it's very commonly seen as the worst of the franchise up to that point. Well, I'll tell you what, again, that's why when I saw the list, I, I think Peter and I were both like, ooh, <laughs> uh, I, I know nothing about this movie besides just it's the, the, the final nightmare. So we were excited to, to try something that was, yeah, a little bit outside of what we would probably, you're right, typically do. So that's why I was so excited to see this. And I'm so glad that this was such a such a fun episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you have anything to promote? I'll probably just plug my website, um, filmslikedreams.com. As I mentioned earlier, I'm currently uh, writing about a series of um, Halloween TV specials. Yeah, yes. so I'm currently doing that um, probably um, up until around mid-November because that's as long as my Halloween seasons last. I've been doing this <laughs> since September 1st, so, you know, I just I just really <laughs> like to drag it out. And then from that point, I'll probably doing, be doing some year-end wrap-ups. Um, I like to talk a lot about music on there. Sometimes I'll talk about movies, but I've been doing that less often, but um, I've been planning on making it more of a priority. So um, I'll be having, like, you know, year-ends, like, top whatever albums, songs, pop singles. I write a lot about pop music, especially of, um, like, earlier years, but um, I like to wrap up for the current year as well um so i have a lot of those coming up um and yeah just filmslikedreams.com awesome well we will include that link in our show notes and i'm especially excited to check on the halloween tv specials that's something that peter and i have batted around doing for a halloween special episode at some point in the future um i hope so Peter, we have we have one more of these before our own Halloween special. So next week we're doing Carrie with Carrie. Yay. It sounds like a bad play that we're doing. Uh, Carrie with Carrie opening on Off Broadway, uh, <laughs> but it, it is not that Carrie on Carrie. Uh, but it's not that it is uh, Carrie Nelson uh, on her fourth appearance on our show, bringing us uh, the 2013 remake of Carrie, which I just watched last night and i'm very excited to talk about it so uh that's that's gonna wrap up ladies fright night and then peter what's our halloween special our halloween special will be talking about halloween oh should i <laughs> oh we're also uh, gonna be talking about halloween oh yeah you mean we're gonna be talking about halloween too or we're going to be talking about Halloween. Oh, we're going to be talking about Halloween 2, but we're also going to be talking about Halloween. Oh, so Halloween, Halloween 2, and Halloween, Halloween as well. We're going to talk about Halloween 2, and we're going to talk about Halloween. As well. Also, yeah. Yeah, okay. I <laughs> uh, hope that was clear. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's what we'll be doing. So, uh, and then we're, we, we've, we've, I think we've already recorded 
most of November. Um, but I, I think we're close enough to just say we probably mentioned it a million times because we've recorded so much of it. Uh, but yeah, we're doing. Well, we'll talk about uh, the exact movies later. But we're doing uh, the family that eats together stays together about cannibal families. Yay! And two of them are also women-directed horror movies. Ooh, which ones? Blood Diner. Yay, okay. And Raw with Joey Lee. Oh, yay! Both both uh, of those are then... excellent. <laughs> yes! It was, it was a bit of serendipity that we uh, ended up putting uh, the cannibal movie for November. I mean, I guess November, the reason we chose it is because of Thanksgiving. When everyone goes home to their families that you might despise. And we're like, what if you ate people instead with them? And thus a concept to talk about Raw and Texas Chainsaw Massacre was born. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that is what we're going to be doing next month. Yeah, the other two, we might as well say it. We're doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first one right after Halloween. So we're actually, it's kind of a... It's kind of crazy. Uh, Peter, you have the perfect analogy that we tend to save some of these movies that we really want to do. Like, you save... uh, uh, like items in, in video games. Like you get to the end, you're like, oh, I never used it. Uh, so we're really doing something that uh, makes us feel an existential dread that we'll run out of our favorite movies, which is insane. But we're doing, uh, yeah, Halloween followed by Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, so that's exciting. And then the other one that month we're doing is Spider Baby. And so with that, I think we can wish people. Yeah, you can say this is the final goodbye. Uh, Aaron, Aaron, Pete, and Lizette are dead. The final goodbye. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid. Tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website wltwpodcast.com leave us a comment tell us we're doing a good job only tell us we're doing a good job we're so sensitive we're sensitive boys we're soft boys and uh if you'd like to help other people if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine fine program that we produce at no cost We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, 
tune in we're currently on soundcloud we'll take that out if soundcloud goes away (laughs) that's it thanks for listening stay tuned guys on our facebook page especially we're gonna have a lot more polls a lot more prizes and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys so keep it tuned in uh let us know what you guys are thinking and again above all else thanks for listening to we love to watch